Welcome to the Chesley Lunday Experience, where innovators and creatives share their insights to spark the imagination that will help you reach more people in an age of disruption. Get ready to imagine a better future. Now, here's your host, Chesley Lunday. Well, I am excited about today's conversation with Mindy Caliguire. Now, as a type A leader, Maverick on the PI and Enneagram 8, soul care is one of the last things that I think about. Except over the last year and a half, I've realized how important it is to a life of a leader that's trying to build impact and influence in their sphere of expertise. The truth is you can't make an impact until you take care of yourself. And the truth is so many leaders forget this. I believe that burnout is one of the biggest problems that we have in America right now. And we need to deal with the head on. Leaders, your health matters. And if you're gonna lead an organization of other people that you are working to get the best out of, you need to get the best out of yourself first. Mindy is one of the best thought leaders in the space of soul care and leadership in North America. And I believe she has a timely message for this era in leadership. Now, Mindy, you might have known her from the Willow Creek Association. She's also co-founder of soulcare.com. And if you look at her professional bio, it's freaking amazing. She's helped ministries like InterVarsity, Christian Fellowship, Salvation Army, obviously Willow Creek, other ministries like YWAM and, and partners with Blue over the last few years. And she is an amazing woman who honestly is an inspiration to myself. And I believe as you get to listen to the conversation that we have today, you'll find her as an inspiration to you as a leader who needs to build soul care it's going to be a great conversation. Let's get to it. Hey, I am here with my friend, Mindy Caliguire. She is an innovative leader in her own right. And she's been on this, this cutting edge of innovation and in spiritual and mental and emotional health. And Mindy, how are you doing? I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah. Glad to be here with you. I really am. Absolutely. Yeah. So we were just talking about how we had horrible technical difficulties. <laughs> I just disappeared, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Fun. Yeah. So you, why don't you tell everybody what is it that you do and yeah. how, how do you help leaders? Yeah. Yeah. Mindy Calvire. And the thing I do has had a lot of different expressions at the surface of my vocation, but underneath all of it has always been this enduring passion to help people figure out how to live and then especially lead from soul health. So there's a whole backstory around that but then at the so that's always the enduring sort of drumbeat of whatever I'm about but like you said innovation and stuff like that I've been involved early on with Willow Creek when they were trying to figure out spiritual formation with John Orberg and then we were looking at reveal and this body of data and how did that play into strategy and innovations around discipleship and then working with the Willow Creek Association with technology and reveal and new ways of resourcing leaders and training leaders, e-learning and e-publishing, all kinds of fun things. 
And then more recently with glue, I was involved in product development and just a variety of things. So I love sitting at the cusp of what's new. How do we serve people with these really cool tools that exist in the world now? And, and yet, how do we serve them in ways that draw them back to the deep inner lights that's available in our God? And so you have the most timeless message, the most enduring truth. What now? What next? How does it meet us in our daily lives today? So that's what I do today. I'm not at Glue or the Willow World or any of those other places any longer. I'm in a really fresh new season of focusing entirely on what does soulcare.com need to become and what are the new ways that we're resourcing people globally for this soul health. And some of that is about content, messaging. Some of it's about community and digital spaces for that. Some of it, I probably myself and the team we haven't even thought of yet. So that's why I'm talking to you a lot, Chesley. <laughs> oh, right, right. So let me ask you a question. Here's a story I heard from our friend, Bruce. Started talking about emotional health and leadership with Bill Hybels. And he was just going, 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 going. And one day he talks about the fact that he's pushing everybody to the edge of what their capacity was. And then one day he gets to a point where he's, I'm feeling the same way too, but it was way way down the line versus all the other people that were coming behind him. And Bruce started talking about the importance of emotional and mental health and soul care as you are a leader and realizing that leaders are usually the last people to figure out that they actually need it. What helped you come to this realization that, oh, this is an issue? Oh, I'm just an idiot, Jess. I don't, I, sometimes I wonder, Mindy, would you have listened to yourself? 30 years ago when you needed to hear this message so deeply. And I sure hope so. I hope this message is framed in a way that is compelling and accessible enough to leaders that they will. But for me, it took a total implosion of my soul's well-being. And there are some people who argue or at least wonder if that isn't somehow a necessary process. And if it, if it is, I would prescribe it to every leader like today. Go get wrecked fully. Come to the end of your complete and yeah, come to the end of all your own resources. The sooner you get to that, the faster you can get back on a path that in the end is, yes, more strategic. In the end is, yes, a better way to accomplish mission, which is what leaders, they keep thinking they don't have, they don't have time to care for their soul or it doesn't really matter just because the mission is so important, the needs are so urgent. And yeah, so... I didn't come into this until I couldn't function for a season of my life and got effectively sidelined. A season of forced rest, although I didn't want it, I hated it. And I was angry about it, frustrated about it. I was telling God it was not strategic and all the things that I was working so hard on were not happening, but it was a severe mercy. It was a very effective wake-up call for me that the way I had been living and leading, first of all, was not going to be effective in the long run. But more importantly, I think in some ways, it's just not the life that God is actually inviting us into. And that's the ache I feel now for leaders everywhere is I see people who are truly, as Jesus said, harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And it's the shepherds of the body who are often the ones who are most harassed. 
and feel helpless because they don't see another way. Anyway, so th those are some just riffing kind of things. But that's when for me, I was confronted with God saying, hey, you know that John 15, five that you were having all three of your small groups memorized. I was running apart the whole from me. I you can do nothing. Yeah, but exactly. <laughs> we talked about that. Yeah. It's like <laughs> what are No, but I think that, <laughs> that's the thing that God keeps telling me over the last two or three years. It's just been yeah. like apart from me, you can do nothing. I think as a leader, like I've fallen into this. Obviously, you know my story over the last year and a half. If I didn't have time with Jesus and that soul care just dealing with my own trauma, I don't know if I'd, I, I don't know if I'd make it. We're not designed to make it. It's like, why yeah. would we even try? It'd be like a swimmer scuba diving or something and trying to stay underwater like for hours. It's like nothing about our system is designed to do that. We have to receive our life from God. And when we do, we can bear much fruit. But apart from that, whether it's immediate or not for a little while, eventually we will do nothing. And I, but I think that verse it said, I really do sense that God with a snarky, fun look on his face was like, Hey, what part of nothing don't you understand? <laughs> but there's, I think I was listening to country music at the time or something. I think there was some song called what part of no, don't you understand? But I sense that was God was saying that. And I think there is a lot about nothing that we don't understand. If you think about the Psalm 139, it says there's nowhere we can go from God's presence. Even if I go to the far side of the sea, make my bed at the gates of hell, even there your will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. And that's the Hebrew, the Old Testament concept. But even in the New Testament, we're told there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. If it's not height, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor anything in all creation. And I'm sure I'm missing some, can separate us from the love of God. Was Jesus saying? What did he mean in that last supper when he says it actually several times during one dinner to the people who are his most closest in? He's not like preaching to the crowds, trying to get them to come into a relationship with him. He's come, he's talking to his own followers, saying he knows what's coming. They have no idea. But he's he knows there is gonna be a different way of relating that they and now we are invited into that is a completely different way than had ever been known before and helping us move into that kind of connection with God, real time in the moment connection, the way a vine and a branch grafted in would be, that's what we're invited into. But leaders, yeah, there's a lot about nothing we don't understand. We think, oh, there's so much that needs to be done. How am I going to do this? What about the finances? What about this family that just left the church? What about so many things? I have a ton of empathy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, why is it so hard for type A leaders or leaders on the go to see this as a strategic move? I do think one piece of it is that we don't have a biblical imagination for why it would matter. So I can circle back to that if you want, but I do think we're lacking just a couple key foundational truths that if we reframed them, would at least give us the permission to start thinking this way. Because a lot of leaders don't feel like they have the permission because it's like the lost need to be found, the found need to be fed, the needs of the poor and the unjust, like the needs of the world are so vast 
that we can give ourselves to them and to work in those domains in a way that was never what Jesus meant. So getting after some of those underpinnings, I think, can be helpful. But I think sometimes at a more like in the moment level, people who are those type A drivers, we get used to a certain way of being in the world and it lodges itself in our being. And we become believers, we come in the faith of God and we're like, hey, here's our new goal. Here's our new thing to strive for. And we just take that same way of being in the world that got me through Cornell in three and a half years, got me to be the top performer of a technology sales organization I was part of, got me into all those other places. And I'm like, oh, okay, I know how to do that thing. I know how to go work really hard and succeed. And then we just transfer that to God stuff church stuff, kingdom stuff. And then we put all kinds of God and kingdom language around it, which can lead to even more, as we now know, abuse of power once we have it. And so we just hitch our caboose to that new thing, but we haven't, we haven't become different kinds of people yet. We just took our way of striving and achieving. And usually that's got several layers underneath it of fear of failure, fear of rejection, all that stuff that sits from our childhood on and just starts to show up in the world that Jesus is able to meet us in and reshape who we are so that ideally when we get to the opportunity and invited to put our hand to whatever plow God's asking us to work at, we're doing it in those unforced rhythms of grace. We're agents of grace. We're bringing the energies of the kingdom into whatever the domain is that needs the Lord. And so anyway, I think it's that unknowing. We haven't, we think that if we just change the objective and go about meeting it the way we used to meet other objectives, that that's fine. And I just don't think it is. We need a new way of being in the world. And in that, I should just say, don't, some people are like, oh yeah, we should never use business leadership principles into the church because that's bad. No, it's not. It's truth. It's God's truth. And it's like, there's, you don't say that to the, your doctor, if she's a neurosurgeon, and did you study Christian neurosurgery? That doesn't even make sense. But, yeah. but we absolutely do need a new fundamental way of being in the world. That is this unanxious, marked by joy and peace and willing to sacrificially serve. That's not ego driven. And that doesn't usually change overnight. Yeah, we're already seeing some of that in the business space outside of the church with like oh, guys yeah. like Simon Sinek and some of those others that are saying, hey, yeah. this is a better way. I think yeah. Ed Milet's been talking about moving from joy for a little while as well. I, I, I'm i in the middle of my journey, so I'm not even a pro at this at all. But when I think about leaders, I think they hear about soul care and emotional health and health. I think the number one fear as a leader that I had that I think can resonate with other leaders is if I go down this road, I'm going to lose my edge. And that is yep. the thing that will keep me at the top. I'll lose my work ethic or I'm going to yeah. have to go and become a hermit somewhere and right, contemplate right. all day. What do you say to leaders that are feeling the way that I felt? Like it's something I still fight with. Yep. Oh God. What do, you, what do you do about that? I think that if we were to put an even finer point to that, the the temptation, which I totally resonate with. This is one of the things I'm always learning to pay attention to it when it shows up in my own life is self-reliance. Okay. It's, I can do this job 
And if I'm depending on God to do the job, I'm not quite sure God can show up and. <laughs> yep. <You're right> <laughs> <now>. <laughs> yeah, that's my entire childhood. I know. Grew up with trauma and you're like, yeah, I can only rely on me. I, I, and, and is not God fully aware of that and fully desiring to relieve us from the yoke that we have been bearing. And yet, I, I remember when I was first starting to become convinced, because it usually has to go to my head before it goes through to my rest of me. I don't know. And maybe that's strange. But I became convinced that this was a better way of living. I didn't know how to live that way, but I became convinced right. that this was right. And I felt like, I remember about two years feeling, you know, if you had it, one foot on a dock and one foot on a canoe, right? And the dock and the land was all I'd ever known. And I was becoming convinced that if I could just put my weight on, put my confidence in the river, that God would take me where God wanted me to go in the timing that God wanted me to get there. And that I needed to step off. You are stable if you're on the land, but it was a, the, the term in business or whatever, it was a burning platform. I knew I couldn't stay there forever. Okay. That I was becoming convinced was not viable. It would never get me where I wanted to be. If I could have gotten into the canoe, I would have been able to regain my balance. But when you got one foot on each, that is the most unstable place. Yes. So that's a really great metaphor because I'm looking at leaders like obviously you worked for Bill, Bill Hybels, Robbie, Carl Lentz. There's other business leaders that have imploded that they're not in the spiritual side of the equation. So it's not as public, but there's so many implosions and you're talking about this burning platform. It only burns down when you're <laughs> willing to get the canoe. It is going to burn, but if you've got a life, you really got a lifeboat right there. And a lot of guys just don't take it. They'll just stand on the platform. Why? What's the impetus? Is it a deep sense of narcissism or is it something deeper than that? You know, I am not in a place to diagnose <laughs> yeah, mental health absolutely. issues for people that some I know, I Robbie, I, but that's not. Let, let's just talk about ourselves. Yeah, but I think, bear in mind, narcissism is a disease. It is a very painful way to live in the world. It is a very, yes, narcissists cause tremendous pain on everybody else, but there's a reason it's in the DSF. It is, it is not a healthy way to be. And there are many wounds, et cetera, that can produce that level of abusive power, dissociation, lack of empathy. There's just all that kind of stuff that sits in that zone. And I don't know if you know him, but Chuck DeGroat would be a great person to interview for more on that topic. He really has made his life work study around all of mental health, but that topic in particular. But the, I think, what is the, what was the temptation in the garden, Chesley? You can have, you can have what you want on yeah. your own terms. Yeah. And I think yeah. the fundamental battle, what was Satan's fall, right? That could be God. And that is the fundamental illusion of control, self-reliance, is I can control my outcomes. That's what Israel was constantly making, making treaties with 
other nations so they could secure their own well-being. We do the same thing. How do I, if I can control this person, get them to do what I want, then I'll be okay. Or the ministry will be okay, which is really another way of saying that I'll be okay. We think it's all gracious and about the ministry, but it's really about us. Right. It's about, and yeah. Totally. Totally. Just be honest. That's what I think that level of self-reliance, wanting my life on my terms, not God's terms. And not believing that God could be good, that God's terms actually would be better for me than my own sense of what is right and good. We, that just keeps us on both footings. Like I, I want to trust God, but I can't, I don't really know. It's the same, it's the same temptation. It's the same fundamental temptation that I think the human soul encounters with reference to the living God. And Jesus came yes the incarnation yes the cross all that stuff he came to show us a way of being in the kingdom of god that allowed us to endure to be patient to be agents of healing and goodness and life and compassion and seeing people who were marginalized like he he is that example that is how we can be in the world yeah I, as you're talking, it, you said something there about the outcome. We can't control these outcomes. And I think culture is right there on foot, foot on the dock, one foot in the canoe. I'm seeing it in the stuff that is being written right now. Obviously our entire society, American, the American society feels in that moment. Yep. For Nay Brown's uh, work is all yeah, yeah. in that zone, right? It's what if vulnerability is the path to influence that that's not up and to the right, show you all my strengths, beat my chest strongly and hit, beat the drums. It's a very, I, I agree with you. It's just, I'm saying, I'm sorry if I interrupted you. It, no, you're good. It's a cultural moment that we are all in. And I think it is for great good. Yeah. I'm wondering, like I said, the, the fight for me has been, if I go that direction, will I have to give up the uh, type of drive. I, drive is the best word. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think there's unhealthy drive, but like the antithesis to drive is like somebody in a meditative state always. Yeah. And yeah. I think yeah. That's the yeah. Fear. Yeah. That is the fear. And I think there's plenty of examples to the contrary of people who, and I can speak to my own story, but I can reference others in history and contemporary who, as we learn those unforced rhythms of grace, as we learn that way of relating to God, that's about in the moment, real time connection, receiving from God what only God can give, defined as his grace, his active presence in our lives, not just justification for our sins. So this gets into much bigger topics. But as we learn that, uh, Roberta Hestonese actually at a spiritual formation conference I was at, she was, the, I think, the closing speaker and she railed against the idea of if your spiritual formation has you going and sitting in solitude and feeling happy and content yes. as one with the Lord and is not also activating your active service to and love of the least and the lost, she said, and I quote her all the time on this, you are being formed in the image of something, but that's not Jesus. That's so good. And it's honestly, it's liberating for leaders like me. Yeah. Could we trust that if we're being formed in the image of Jesus, 
Jesus would show up in your world with energy and intensity and sometimes anger and sometimes power and sometimes humility, always humility, but sometimes choosing not to speak. Meekness. Yeah. Meekness. Thank you. Great. Exactly. And I just think we have to broaden the aperture of what we think a life lived out of soul care could be. Is it just Mindy sitting on a hillside in Boulder, contemplating sitting on a rock? I hope I have times like that, but my life is, I've got all kinds of crazy going on, but it's not sucking the life out of me. It's my capacities for leadership and courage and creativity have all increased from living this way. And God miraculously opening doors that I didn't even know existed. Like this is the spiritual life. This is the exciting journey with God that doesn't suck the living daylights out of you. Yeah. I find it interesting. There is a the young pastors that are highly successful leaving their churches and doing stuff that is like way more narrow in scope, but they're like, this is what I've designed for. And we're seeing more and more of that. And I'm guessing in the innovation business leadership space, there's guys that are feeling that way too. What you are arguing for is that this is actually a path towards better and more sustainable innovation long-term. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Who's the most creative person in the whole world? I would say it would be the creator. (laughs) It's not Elon Musk. It is not Steve Jobs. It is not Barack Obama or whoever else we might think of as a creative visionary leader yeah all of those like are- Steve jobs you did a good job with the iphone look at a tree yeah. right and, and that actually good. that would be a good idea to go sit and look at a tree for a long time but there's one book that i've i had heard of i just reread recently here it is on my desk sorry i'm pushing my face on the camera no, you're right. letters from a modern mystic okay this yeah. guy wrote in like the 1940s the forward by dallas willard is worth the price of the book it is. And basically this guy was a fairly typical Western mindset driven leader, had some major disappointment. And I don't remember what it was in the context of his ministry. And I think he was like in the Philippines or something and was trying to reach the, these people and got wrecked, disappointed, the kind of wrecking ball that I was talking about that happened to me and probably many of us. And he started this thing. He just framed it as an experiment. He called it games with minutes. And he wanted to try to, it started with longer periods of time than minutes, like maybe once a day, could he bring to mind God's presence with him right here and right now? And then it was like, maybe could I once an hour call to mind God's presence with me right here. And like, even now as you're listening, you can do this. Like you're sitting there in Phoenix. You can call to mind God's presence, his goodness, his active presence with you right here, right now. Everybody who's listening can. And then he was like, because he noticed what would happen in him as he just reconnected. He wasn't learning a thing. He wasn't achieving a thing. He was just reconnecting with the active presence of the living God. And then he was like, that's good. Maybe what if I could do, what if, what if once a minute I could remember God, call to mind God's active presence with me. And I chose to not say you heard me change. Remember, because a lot of times we anchor most of our evangelical spiritual development with remembering truths. Yeah. And knowing truths 
And as important as that is, that's not the same, guys. That is not the same as right now, the air I'm breathing, the active presence of the living God is with me. That is a way of relating, not just a thing to know. So he started this experiment and he talks very openly in some of his letters to his son, I believe, who published this about entire days or weeks would go by and he would not do this, never mind every minute, but some days more than others, he would stay mindful of it. And he figured if I could once a minute, then the remainder of those seconds, I'm still, my mind is still immersed in the reality of God's presence with me. What unfolded in this guy's life is such a fun leadership story. He ends up having all these ideas for strategy, ends up starting a global literacy organization that is still moving today. It's not even only a faith thing. It was called, I think it's called Each One Teach One was one of the initiatives, but the organization, I'd have to find it, but it's some sort of, yeah. Anyway, it's crazy. He started writing poetry. God was giving him, he would sometimes come and feel like God had just downloaded him this really beautiful turn of phrase. And it's like, guys, what does the Lord of the universe want to say to you about your work, about the problems you're trying to solve, about about your own heart? What does God want to say to you about loving your enemies, like specifically, like who has been an enemy to you lately? And don't try to conjure up, oh, this is what I should do. It's hold space. Listen, what might God want to say? Now, I know that might push some edges of people who are like, does that sound weird? I say go for the, certainly God is not on a command performance, that just because we ask a question, we get an answer. He's not, but how long has it been since maybe you just held space with a question. Maybe you're vexed with a, like, we, we've been banging our head against the wall on this particular strategic issue as an individual or as a team. What does it mean to just pull back and ask God and then let it sit for a while? These spiritual practices that are part of soul care, they teach our souls to learn a new way of being. Restful, confident in God, assured of his goodness. I think under those conditions, that's when God, his power is most able to move through us. And I want to know what are the new tech ideas that are come coming, not from drivenness and striving, but from openness and yieldedness. What are the ideas that are going to collide in your head that would never collide in anybody else's because of that trauma in your childhood, because of that background you have, because of that unique gift that you have. There's going to be ideas that the Lord can put a little sparkle dust in there and pull a thread that is going to come out of your head that will not come from anybody else's. I want that in the world. I want that for every single person who's listening. I want that for every leader everywhere. Yeah. You just said something. I was thinking, have you seen the social dilemma? Oh yeah. Talking about, yeah. So they talk about writing the code to the social media sites and inside of it, they're like, we didn't know we were putting this in the algorithm. We didn't know, but it was innate in it. And I'm like, you're talking about not building the technology or the innovation through, through this angst, if you will. But, yep. but it feels like that's exactly what was being done with things like Facebook. And then you're talking about yep. 
there's actually some, I don't know, I want to pull that thread a little bit of going, what does innovation look like from a place of peace and fulfillment rather than, right. I don't, that's, a, that's an interesting right. thought that stuff right. actually is it inundated into the technologies and innovations we create. Yeah. Yeah. We can't help but reimpose that angst. We, that anxiety, we impose some of those things, not aware of it, but it's like any architecture takes on the intention or the worldview, frankly, of the architect. Yeah. We need, and we need that. So cool. Yeah. yeah. And so who knows what, what, yeah. If you think of that phrase, I don't even know where this is in. I should know the Bible better, but like that city where whose designer and builder is God, whose architect is builder is God. It's mm-hmm. somewhere in the New Testament, but it's like that, like, when God designs and architects things, they are generative. They are life-giving. They honor people. They do not create systems of dominance and control. They do create order out of chaos. They do build beautiful things that are meaningful for service. Yeah. All right. So I've got two major questions. And I'm sure this is going to take us into some spot, some spaces. One of them was you said, circling back to, we need to create a better imagination around this framework. I would love for you to tease that out a little bit. Which better imagination around which part? Remember what I said. <laughs> what, what are like create, have a little bit more imagination around what the life, a life of soul care looks like. Yeah. 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 But it's not this passive. I just lay down and float through life and teach myself to not care about anything. Actually, that's a little bit closer to not a full fair thing, but learning to get let go of all of our passions and everything is a little bit at the core of some Buddhist thinking. And there is good to have in there, the posture of surrender, the posture of all those things. But what I love is that our God is saying, I love your energy. I love what you care about. I gave you eyes to see and put you in a certain context that would rattle your cage on topics that matter. And I think God is more, yes, restful and poised and relaxed as the holder of all things together. And our God is active and initiates. And we see this throughout scripture in our own lived experience. We know God activates. We know God creates plans that we then walk into and we're like, oh my goodness, you, this has been a a plan and a plan shows love. So when we step into planning things, when we step into initiating, when we step into creative ventures, when we step into building teams that are about building people, not abusing people, we are stepping into the work of God in the world. But what I find is the thing that Maybe you said a framework, I'd probably need to do more thinking about frameworks, but I think one of the biggest ways we miss all this is a term that somebody used with me, or I read it and I sent a chill down my spine, but with the idea of functional atheism. And I think a lot of Christian ministry happens for Christian, Christian life. Moms at home, dads at home, 
going to the grocery store, going to the bank, making decisions, all that stuff. Functional atheism is when we function. So what is atheism? Atheism says there is no God. I somehow know it. There is no God. (laughs) So atheism without God says there is no God. And it's a way of being in the world that presumes there is no other dimension. There is no benevolence in the universe. There is no personal God. Okay. There is no salvation. There is no forgiveness that it comes from outside. There's not none of that. There is only what we can see and touch. And the world is without God. There is no God. Christians can enter into often do, and we have whole systems of Christians doing this, that is functionally atheistic. We function as if there is no God. Yeah. We hold meetings about God things, but we hold them as if there is no God. We make decisions as if there is no God. We, it's like the opposite of this, like every minute trying to think about where is God in the here and now? It's, oh, I, I don't even have that imagination. Why? Who cares? It, and, and I think unknowingly, our sort of bias as evangelicals has been, as long as I know a bunch of truths, then that's all that really matters. And then I can go and bludgeon everybody with the truth. That's, it's, it's all about knowledge, but we function as atheists. So what would be functional theism? What would be functional? I live and work and relate in a fundamental spiritual reality. That is what is undergirding everything around me. I often say like the kingdom of God, the presence of God, the rule of God undergirds, permeates, and supersedes everything that we see and touch and think and interact with, okay? The simultaneous nature of the kingdom. It's not like just go to heaven when you die. The kingdom is not once Jesus comes back to reign, whatever you're and times interpretation of scripture is yeah, yeah thank you for the big word you're welcome they uh the that is not biblically that is not the picture of the kingdom the kingdom is right. jesus saying it's at hand not after i go to the cross and die and then it is at hand now simultaneous with everything and always has been the created world is a it sits within the context of the kingdom so how do we become functional theists how do we become we function in a world where god is god god is the smartest person in the universe god is the most innovative god is the most creative how do we start living our life with that awareness and dependence on the living god that's does that sound rigid oh my gosh trying to think about god once a minute or is it like wait that's actually sanity that's that's where i can grow Anyway, that that's, that's what great. I'm thinking of is that framework is like, we need a new imagination about what that is. That's really good. All right. So it's related, but what are you experimenting right now? Like uh, in your space with soul yeah. care, what's the yeah. innovative spaces yeah. that you're dealing in? I, you've heard me talk a little bit about this, but guys, I know nothing about the metaverse. <laughs> I have put on a set of, it took me like longer than I would ever want to admit to find the power button and then to figure it just was it was just embarrassing but i think there's something there the world is moving and it's interesting to me and 
anytime there's an opportunity for interaction and meeting people in where they are, like, I'm just curious. So I have a, a slow burning interest in that, like a little experiment, like little paying attention. I'm just trying to pay attention. What's happening there? And as much as I don't know anything about it and would never and want to learn, I, the comparison I will make is that this story, I, in 1998, I had begun doing things with soul care. And yes, I was only four months old. I'm just kidding. Love my age. The, but the, in 1998, I was starting to develop some journals and some resources around, around that and selling them into like physical bookstores. It used to be a thing. And, and they were received really well. It was really fun. And we were connected to a bunch of like techies in Boston who were really smart and that were friends of ours. They weren't even part of our church, but they were just part of the community we were connected to. And one of the guys, Todd said to me, you should register that domain. 1998, what on earth does that mean to me? What do you mean? What? Because you need to get that URL. What? He's, he showed me the like universal domain registration thing. I don't know what it even was. And I remember sitting down in one of the rooms in our little townhome in Boston, and he's walking me through how to register soulcare.com, which no one in 1998 had registered. And I have had it since then because Todd knew where the world was going. I didn't, I couldn't even spell URL. I did not know what it meant. I was like, but I trusted him. I trusted that he was wise about this kind of stuff. And I have had zero regret over the years that I had gotten that. And I've even now just figured out how to maximize it. In the same way, smart people that I trust are saying, you got to pay attention to what's about to happen in the metaverse. So that's an area of experimentation. Less technically innovative, but still an area of innovation for me is we have this online digital community and it's called The Collective. So if you go to collective.soulcare.com, we're just using a different platform for it and creating spaces for groups, for online courses. The thing that's nothing new in the world, people have been doing that for a long time. But what I am very curious to figure out, people start courses and then 99% don't ever finish it. You join a thing, but nobody's really active on it because we've all got so many places. I'm really curious to see if we are collectively enough over the social platforms that are public and if there is appetite for a more private focused conversation and how do I cultivate that how do I stimulate it if people come how do we make that a meaningful experience for them I we are such on the front end of that right now but that is a desire for me to figure that out we're only one year into it we've got almost 700 people that have joined it but I I don't think we're yet delivering on the promise of this is a place to help you care for your soul and have other people that are part of that. So I want to figure that out. Another area of experimentation that just revisited this the last few days is how could we create an assessment that isn't wonky or gimmicky or dumb, but actually does help someone recognize, am I at risk? Where am I at? Is my soul healthy or not? And then further, another area of experimentation, how could we learn from the world of wearables? How could we start paying attention to biofeedback in creating some sort of algorithmic 
maybe these are some of the ideas that I'm working on anyway, I didn't get into detail, but what, how could we better serve people? How could we better use the tools that exist to create innovative interventions and resourcing people and getting them connected relationally? Those are all the things that probably 10 more experimenting with space here out on the land that you've been out to and how can we create spaces for people that help them let go of that drivenness, let go of that, finally step into the canoe, at least for an hour. <laughs> and how do, how are we retraining our own central nervous system to learn how to be at rest rather than constant agitation and constant adrenaline overdrive? Yeah. I, when I was over at your place, I think one of the other things that you are doing whether it's by design or on accident. The church has been behind in the innovation game for a long time. But what we're seeing is like this fusion of tech entrepreneurship and faith innovation, and it's starting to merge. And so I remember a few stories of the, the dot-com boom, and you'd have all these conferences, but these people would get these like houses or sites off off the beaten path, off of the main drag of the conferences. And then they would begin to host conversations and have these community space, like this community space where we can have these like deeper nuanced conversations about where things are headed and your space at the ranch is becoming that. I think for the yeah. faith, what we would call faith tech, like yeah. industry, I think you're definitely like the, that, that person of peace for that is happening with faith and technology. So that's pretty cool. I've enjoyed that. Thanks, Chesley. Yeah, it is. I hope that will be the case. We've had founders of new ventures that are trying to get funded, come out here and try to get their souls to a still place, but have some conversations. We've had, yeah, corporate folks coming in here. We've had ministry leaders, but you said something in there that I wanted to jump in on as yeah. well. It, it is about the innovation a little bit. I think I, I heard N.T. Wright talk about this as it related to the LGBTQ community and his mm -hmm. reticence to even weigh in. Not that he lacks theological perspective on what he thinks about a topic, but he ha there's a video that he recorded, I don't know, at least 10 years ago, refusing to enter the conversation. Obviously not afraid of what people will think, not, but his singular reason at that time, which has always struck me, is that he believed that we have lost our capacity for discourse. We've lost our capacity to just sit and listen to someone we might disagree with. And people just run to their polar extremes, whatever their camp, without even deeply understanding the issue at hand, it, that we just get triggered by certain keywords that the media is exploding or our Christian things are exploding. And we've lost our ability to just sit around a campfire and say, who are you? What's your story? What do you care about? Why is that? What does the world look like to you? And we really hope that this space, in addition to furthering tech and faith tech and all that kind of stuff, becomes a place where we can hold honor and respect and hold space for differing views on different topics with the goal of elevating community and curiosity about what, where's God at work? How could we see that together? Yeah, that was probably more than you bargained for, but yeah. Oh, that's good. And good. more. 
Yeah. I don't think you can have the level of innovation that we're looking for without differing opinions and the, the tensions and worldview. And without those people's stories and background, we don't humanize people enough to be able to hear what they have to say. Because the reality is I'm five steps ahead always. My wife is always what's right in front of her. And there's wisdom in both. And if you're just one rather than the other, you're never going to be in a space that will actually help you get ahead. And, and all but you have to listen. Yeah. All good innovation comes from empathy, right? The whole IDEO process, everything else that comes out of, if you're showing up in the world, like you're right and you have all the answers, then you're never going to innovate. You're never going to create because you're only going to live within the world as you currently see it, which I'm sorry, I don't care who you are. That's never going to be bigger than the size of your own brain. And some people's brains are bigger than others, but the best solutions are when we latch onto a bigger brain, which is ultimately God. But when we start hearing from up without a posture of defense and protection, self-protection, how do we show up open? Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you basically for the last hour had told us that the path to innovation is through soul care. Yes, sir. <laughs> Unapologetically. Yeah, there you go. You heard I it think here it, first, I think it's the path. I think it's the path to best being human. Yeah. And I think creativity and innovation is why God's put us here on the earth. What, what did he mean by have dominion, go and do good things? We're not little marionette robots that just do whatever God wants. God delights in how you're wired and what the world looks like to you. And yes, he's forming and shaping his character and goodness in us, but it's going to come through your DNA, your personality, your story. And I think God is curious to see what his people will do with the opportunities at hand. It's not just sit back and laze and let the lazy river take you downstream, but the river of, the, of God, you see that metaphor throughout scripture, immerse yourself in that river trust yourself to that river yeah. yeah jesus doing that often it was like a it was like breathing for him he'd work really hard and then some days he would get up really early before everybody else and go away by himself yep. and then other days he yep. would wait till the very end of the day yep. and jesus needed to hear that's funny you mentioned that yep. that's no that's funny you mentioned that there's i, I just wrote about this on a blog and it's fresh in my mind. And I think it was informed in part by me reading about this guy's story about these games with minutes. But forever, I've had this daily prayer of surrender that includes in it, may I live this day as if Jesus were in my place, which is, we see that in scripture. I've been crucified in Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives me. We think about those little, I don't know how long ago it was, but those, what would Jesus do? That whole movement, what yeah. would Jesus yeah. do? I think for many of us, again, back to that functional atheism, we would take that concept of what would Jesus do? We've never talked to God about what the answer to that was. We would just use our little brains to be like, oh, what would Jesus do? He would serve the poor. What would Jesus do? He would give away the money. What would Jesus do? He would forgive the person. And we just do mental gymnastics to try to figure out what to do every day. And what would Jesus do about whatever? What would Jesus buy a hot tub? Which I've heard people debate this. Would Jesus buy a hot tub? Would Jesus buy a car like that? Would Jesus 
And it's, yeah. it, at some point it becomes ridiculous. And I, in the blog, I was like, when you take that, I'm trying to figure out what to wear to a speaking engagement. Would Jesus wear that dress? Like this gets really dumb. It gets really goofy if you take it too far. But what if, what would Jesus do was his turning to the father moment by moment, day by day and saying, God, what, how am I seeing where you're at work and joining you in this right now? Not as a formula. Okay. You were, I, you, I did that one time. Now I do that forever and ever. No. And then in the next moment, how am I receiving my life from you? How am I receiving my direction? So it's been a fun twist to that prayer for me. I don't know the last few months to be thinking, may I live this day as if you were in my place thinking how would Jesus be interacting with the father if he were in all the meetings I was in today? How would he be interacting with the father as he was confronted with the conflict that I'm being confronted with today? Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I keep thinking he never healed someone the same way twice. And, but he says that I do what I see my father doing. And so Correct. why would you spit in the mud? Why would you sit down to somebody who makes no sense. obviously sick and go, Hey, what can I do for you? While the whole town is clamoring yeah. at yeah. your door, why would yeah. you get up and go to a quiet place? Goes, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, none of us would have done that. No, we would sit there and try to fix everybody else's problems. Yeah. So. It's really interesting. Hey, uh, if, if there's a leader here that says, I need some more of this, where would they go? Soulcare.com. Come on. Soulcare.com. Yes. From there, you'll find out the rest of what we're doing. But please do sign up for the mailing list. We've got writing projects in motion. I've got some more digital courses. Oh, another area of experimentation. If you are part of an organization that's starting to wrangle this topic, and many are, which I find is greatly encouraging. We are spinning up some experiments within organizations to say, how could we come alongside you in a way to support your people with a vision of soul health and how that impacts your organization's productivity, culture, et cetera. So they can get involved, all, but all that stuff, you can certainly email me or get in touch, but love, love to be with you on this journey, guys. We also have spiritual directories and coaches who work with leaders, and we have partnerships with some big churches and other organizations, seminaries, to provide that sort of personalized one-on-one -on -one care for leaders, which in the end, I think is vital. We, we have to get to a point where somebody outside of your org system can walk with you and hold space for that canoe moment because you might be in that right now and most of us can't shouldn't navigate that on our own we all need help so that's what i would say that's good thank you so good to be with you friend yeah Get back out to boulder we need more time you can beat digital disruption but it takes imagination to innovate you have the spark of divine creativity within you you can transform your organization from disrupted to disruptive. All you have to do is move out in faith and try something new. Thank you for listening to the Chesley Lunday Experience. We appreciate you spending this time with us, and we'll catch you in the next episode.